Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Thursday, September 1st, and this is your FT News Briefing. This show is all about Europe and the war in Ukraine. First, we'll talk about Russia's decision to cut off gas flows to Europe. Then, the EU's decision to cut off tourist flows to the bloc. Plus, our defense and security correspondent John Paul Rathbone will tell us about Ukraine's new counteroffensive. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Russia says it's just doing maintenance, but the three-day shutdown of the Nord Stream 1 gas pipeline to Europe is seen as another move by Moscow to squeeze Europe as winter creeps closer. Moscow's been restricting gas supplies over the past three months, and in that time, gas prices have more than doubled. But the FT's David Shepard says this latest move wasn't a surprise. It was announced that this was coming last week, though we did see gas prices spike after that point. You know, there's multiple reasons why gas prices are spiking. It'd be dangerous to try and attribute that solely to the announcement of the shutdown. So it wasn't a complete surprise, but we have seen additional steps that have come from Russia in recent days that that have kept people on edge. You know, there's been a contract dispute with France's Angie, who have seen supplies from Russia cut at this point. You know, disputes over whether they're paying the correct amount for their gas and so on. This all feeds into this atmosphere of, you know, the weaponization of gas supplies and just the general breakdown in relations we're witnessing right now. So, David, gas prices have actually fallen this week. What kind of impact will this shutdown have on the market? Will it push prices back up again? If the shutdown is prolonged, prices will likely rise again. At the moment, the market's looking at this and saying, okay, prices spiked in advance of the shutdown. It's almost like the classic trading thing of buy the rumor, sell the fact, right? The prices moved in advance of the shutdown, and now the shutdown is here. At the moment, the market is pricing in the expectation that, okay, it will probably come back within three days or so. Russia's methods of squeezing supplies to Europe are more subtle than just saying everything's offline, shut it all down, it's gone. Because Russia, many people in the industry and the gas market believe, wants to retain leverage. If you cut supplies entirely, you lose that leverage over your, the countries that you sell to in Europe. David Shepard is the FT's energy editor. Yesterday, EU foreign ministers agreed to suspend a long-standing visa agreement with Russia. This will make it harder for Russians to visit Europe and its free travel zone. The FT's Henry Foy covered the ministers' meeting in Prague. Right after it ended, he filed the story to the FT, walked over to a soundproof booth, and gave us the lowdown. Hi, Henry. Hey, Mark. So um, what exactly happened in Prague? So today, uh, the, all the foreign ministers from the EU sat down to talk about how they're going to deal with what Eastern member states, states that border Russia, say is a challenge to their national security, which is hundreds of thousands of Russian tourists that have entered the EU through their countries uh, on land because flights are grounded as tourists since the war in Ukraine began. What I reported last week was that they were going to agree to rip up this visa facilitation agreement that the EU has with Russia. It's been in place since 2007, which basically makes it easier and cheaper for Russians to get visas. That's now been ripped up as 
as we reported. And again, uh, what I reported this morning, which is that the member states had said to the EU, look, either you guys support us in bringing in measures to make the border less porous, or we're just going to do them anyway, and you're just going to have to live with the consequences. So today, the EU, the 27 countries agreed with those five uh, border countries, Poland, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, and Finland, and said, okay, we're ripping up the visa deal. It's going to mean Russians have to pay a lot more money, wait a lot more time to get their visas. It's going to reduce the number of visas we give out. And you can bring in national measures on your borders that will slow, or even in some cases, stop the entry of of Russians uh, into your territory. So, Henry, um, who is this punishing? Is this punishing Vladimir Putin for invading Ukraine? Because it doesn't seem like this has any effect on him personally. Well, that's right. And that's why these measures really are a a Rubicon crossing moment for the EU. Up until now, Western sanctions have targeted big business, the Putin regime, oligarchs. These measures directly target ordinary Russians, upper middle class Russians, Russians with enough money to holiday in the EU, but ordinary Russians nonetheless. And 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 what ministers have said up until today, and, and indeed, since this deal was announced was, look, while the Russian government is conducting uh, war crimes and, and unspeakable atrocities in that country, it's not okay for ordinary Russians to be enjoying uh, the beaches, the bars, the, the town squares of Europe and acting like it's business as usual. And these states do say that there is a potential national security risk from these tourists. But in general, the vibe seems to be they just don't like them being around while their government is waging an illegal war. Is there any pushback from EU countries who don't want a complete ban? Yeah. And I think it's really important to note that this really is a big political victory for those uh, five eastern states. Uh, France and Germany, uh, traditionally the two biggest and most, most influential powers in the EU, had argued against what they called wide-sweeping changes to the EU's visa uh, regulations and indeed said that we should be clever about Russian visas. We should use them as a leverage against Moscow rather than just all-out banning them. So really interesting that that actually the EU has this time sided with the eastern states and perhaps significantly showing a more, more hawkish side uh, for the future. But we wait to see what the next round of sanctions will bring and, and, and whether the EU's policy will continue to, to target ordinary Russians. Henry Foy is the FT's European diplomatic correspondent. Thanks, Henry. Thanks a lot, Mark. This week, Ukraine launched a counteroffensive in the southern part of the country. It's trying to take back the city of Kherson from Russian control. This is Ukraine's first major counterattack since the start of Russia's assault on the country in February. To find out more, I'm joined by the FT's John Paul Rathbone. He's in Ukraine. Hi, JP. Hi there. So, JP, I want to talk about Kherson, but first, uh, you're in Ukraine right now, and specifically you're in the capital of Kyiv. What's it like there? Well, it's a beautiful city. It's late summer, clear skies. The bars are full. There are restaurants that are fairly busy. I went uh, a walk down Krasatchik Street, which is one of the main thoroughfares on Sunday, and there were people breakdancing and busking and singing, and was talking to some of the people there, and they had interesting reactions. One woman told me, I hate this music. She was talking about the breakdancing and the hip-hop. I think it's great these kids are, are going on, but I also don't understand what's going on. And there was another man who was cradling his head in his hands and saying, I hate this, I hate this. Don't they know there's a war going on? And then there was a younger person who was saying, it's important that we all lead our lives. Life has to go on. The economy has got to move. There's not an obvious sense of war. There are some smashed up buildings on the outskirts. 
but not an obvious sense of, of fighting which is going on somewhere else in the distance. And of course, hundreds of miles to the south of you, there's this big counteroffensive going on. Ukraine's trying to take back the city of Kherson. What do you know about this so far? So Kyiv and Ukrainian officials have been talking about a counteroffensive for a long time, a couple of months, and nothing seemed to happen. But then this week on Monday, the army said they were launching a counteroffensive on Kherson, which would be Ukraine's first serious counteroffensive since the war began. And um, there's something of an operation blackout, so we don't really know what's happening, but there's lots of images hard to verify on, on social media, and there is definitely something afoot, and it would be a, it's a major move. Now, can you remind us how important Kherson is? Why would it be such a critical city for Ukraine to recapture and for Russia to, to hold? Well, it's got symbolic significance and political significance because it was the first city that was captured. And it's also got military strategic significance. It stands in between the Crimea, which is Russian-held, and Odessa, this key port which belongs to Ukraine. And it's got a commanding position that basically dashes Russian any Russian hopes of capturing Odessa and consolidating its control of the Black Sea coast. And it also has a commanding position strategically over uh, the Crimea. So it opens lots of possibilities for Ukraine and shuts down quite a few possibilities as well for Russia. So realistically, does Ukraine have a, a shot at retaking Kherson? So the Ukrainians have a slight edge in terms of manpower, although not in equipment and heavy weaponry. They've been following quite an unusual tactic. This isn't going to be a sort of sweeping World War II maneuver with lots of tanks and artillery and planes. It's quite a different approach where the Ukrainians have basically tried or sought to strangle the Russians by using highly precise artillery and missile strikes on their supply lines and infrastructure. So the, that's the approach to kind of strangle the Russian troops, corrode their effectiveness until they sort of lose the will to fight and retreat. That's the theory, more or less, as we understand it. John Paul Rathbone is the FT's defense and security correspondent. He's in Ukraine right now covering the conflict. Thanks, JP. Thanks. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT news briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.